The following is a message by Pastor Mike Nye of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. And the rest can open to James, the book of James. The assignment Ken gave me when he gave me the text was James. So settle in. It's going to be a long one. Five chapters. No, actually, he gave me a little more detail than that. It's going to be an overview um, of James as he begins a series um, on this. And I'm actually going to start us, we're going to do that. We're going to start our preview from the end of the book. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. While these verses are not necessarily intended as a summary of the book of James, they do help us get at the main point of this book, that godly wisdom results in godly living. Being the church in, the real, in real life. And being the church in real life means living in such a way and saying and doing such things that will save souls from death and cover a multitude of sins. And so my hope in today's overview of this book of James is that we will recognize opportunities to apply godly wisdom in order to save a wandering soul from death. Now, the beginning of the book appears to be a letter, James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. And this organization is a little bit sometimes like an epistle, but I've come to the conclusion that the book of James has really got a lot more in common with the wisdom literature, like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Because, it, uh, for one thing, it doesn't have an ending, like the uh, ending greeting, like the epistles generally do. My wife and I discussed the fact that perhaps that ending was lost somewhere in history. That could be. But the other thing is that James kind of jumps around as you move through the book. It's not, it doesn't follow like a clear argument all the way through. The theme that seems to move through it is wisdom and the need for it to be worked out in real living. But he's kind of jumping back and forth and here and there. And those of you that were in Sunday school with Tom Bischoff when he went through Proverbs will recognize it's not, it's very difficult with both Proverbs and Ecclesiastes to like preach it straight through because the writer kind of moves around a lot. The other piece of uh, wisdom literature that I think it has a lot in common with, we just read, if you look at Matthew chapter 5, Chapter 5 through 7, which are often called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus preaching, that's, it's wisdom literature. It's, it's got that same feel to it. He, he hits a whole bunch of things. But those whole bunch of things are related to the wisdom of God being worked out in our lives. And it's interesting, if you will take uh, the verses um, that were read today, chapter 1, 1 through 12... This would be a good exercise for you uh, maybe this week or through the series. You will find each of these 
blessings, beatitudes as they're often called, reflected or expounded on, if you will, in the book of James. And I'm not going to go through all that today, but uh, just to encourage you to think through that and maybe use that journal that you're going to purchase or that I'm going to get for you to write those things out. So the intention of James is to fill our mind with godly wisdom that will result in godly living and we will be the church in real life. And today we're going to use this last sentence as a starting point. We're going to, we're going to fly over this book uh, kind of, not quickly, but not, not, not doing a whole lot of in-depth. We're going to let the gaps be filled in as Pastor Ken preaches over the next two uh, or three months out of this. But, the glimpse of op- but what we're looking for is glimpses of opportunities that exist from the text to recognize a wandering soul. And then, how to apply or how to bring people to the texts that are found here that will save their soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And let's be clear, wandering from the truth results in death. James is not just engaging in hyperbole here. When you wander from the truth, it will result in death. The other two um, pieces of wisdom literature that we're going to be following through the month, through the several months, Proverbs and Matthew 5 through 7, tell us the same thing. If you turn back to uh, Proverbs 1 again, where we read out of, and we go down a little bit further in the chapter to 32, here's how Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived apart from Jesus, this is how he puts it. The simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. Again, Solomon's not, I don't think, engaging in hyperbole. He's not overstating the case. When you turn away from truth, the result will be death and destruction. In Matthew chapter 5, if you turn over there, Jesus uh, will say it this way. Actually, in Matthew chapter 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, 7, verse 27, he says, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Again, Jesus is pointing to the fact that There is destruction that comes when we do not listen to his word and obey it. So we're going to think about this today. This is the urgency of the text. It is urgent that we recognize when people are wandering from the truth and that we bring them to the truth in order that they might be saved. Now, we might ask, who is this wandering soul needing to be saved? Well, first of all, it is a brother. If you just cursory run through the book of James, you're going to find he uses that term brother all the time. He's talking to those who are of the family of God. It's used elsewhere in the New Testament in that very same way. These are the brothers, the brothers and sisters, the siblings of Christ, those who are related to Jesus by virtue of salvation. And so he's calling on wandering churchgoers 
to repent and believe Jesus. Within our church, there will be people who will wander. I was observing this yesterday at the funeral. In the family and acquaintances of John and Betty Wood, there are some who are not following the faith that John and Betty had passed on. They have wandered. They had been in the church. They grew up in the church. But they've turned away from it. Whether it's desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, or the pride of life, people within our church will at times wander. And when they wander, they wander from the truth. They're walking away from this. They exchange the truth for a lie, and their very soul is in danger. Now, secondly, in a broader sense, we could apply that wandering to those who are living in opposition to God in general. That might include family, might include coworkers, friends, acquaintances, people you meet that you just come across during your daily activity that you might never meet again. People who are outside of the church. People who have been living their life opposed to God. But I think for purposes of this sermon series and what I'm talking about today, we're going to keep a more narrow focus and think about what's happening in the church and not so much outside. We must go away from here today concerned that no one in this room among us might wander from the truth onto death. But you might ask, how is wandering person brought back? Well, a wandering person is brought back to, to, to the truth with truth. Not with clever arguments, not with smooth talk, not by browbeating or making feel guilty, but by exposing them again and again to the truth that is in the Word of God. And so that's what we're hoping to do. Part of what we're hoping to do through the next few months is become aware of the truth that is in the text and how we can bring it into people's lives, our own and others, bring it to bear in their lives so that it will produce a harvest of righteousness. Well, we start out in the first chapter and we find in the first chapter a key reason people wander from the truth. And the reason is this, they are hearers of the word, but not doers. They come faithfully on Sunday, and they sit and they listen to the sermon. They may sing. They may give. They may participate in some other ways on Sunday. But once they leave here on Sunday, God's agenda for them has been accomplished, they feel, and so they're done until next Sunday, and Monday through Saturday belongs to them. And so they do what God wants on Sunday, at least they think they are doing what God wants, but Monday through Saturday they're going to do their own thing. They hear the word, but they don't do it. You can recognize those kind of people. Just like if I had gotten up this morning and looked in the mirror and my hair was just a total mess, I had food on my face from breakfast, my clothes were disheveled, and I stood up in front of you like that right here. Hopefully, somebody besides my wife, who would definitely do this, would say, Hey, Mike, um, did you look in the mirror today? And what would you think if I said, Yeah, yeah, I looked in the mirror right before I came. In fact, I was just looking in the mirror back in the men's room right before I came out to preach. 
Something's wrong. There's a problem. But that's how so many people approach the word. They, they, this, is what, this is what James says. They look into it like looking in a mirror, and then they go away and forget what they look like. There's no transformation. There's no change in their life because of it. And so we might recognize people who hear the sermon on Sunday, but when you encounter them through the week, you look at them and you're going, I, don't, I think you're the person that I saw Sunday, but I'm not sure because you don't seem to be doing what was talked about. And those kind of people need to be brought back to chapter 1, verse 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You have an opportunity then to exhort them to act on God's word that they hear. Because that will bring, he says, life and empower good desires. So the first thing that people wander from the truth is when they listen to it, but they don't actually incorporate it into their life. It doesn't transform them. Another one he addresses in chapter 2 is partiality, which has always been a deeply rooted sin in God's people. Think back to the Israelites who said, it's us, everybody else can stay out. And here's how it shows itself. It shows itself in honoring people that are like us or people who we think can help us. I mean, the example is so practical that he gives. Somebody shows up in the assembly and it's obvious they have money and power. And you think to yourself, we got some building program we need to finish up. Got a few bills to pay. We better treat this person really well. Come here and sit right in the front where everybody can see you. This person's got connections. They can get us into places. Come sit right here in the place of honor. And then shows up the person who's in the shabby clothes and obviously is not going to be able to give us much. And even if they put money in the bank or in the plate, it's not going to be very much. And we say to them, hey, would you, not meaning any disrespect to you guys in the narthex, but would you sit out in the narthex? And then we'll just, we'll close the doors, but you can still see on the video. Now, we wouldn't do that. I mean, we wouldn't do that. But the reality is that we would. Maybe not so explicitly. But we will shun people who are not like us or don't seem to be able to advance our own desires and needs. We will love people who love us. But what would they don't know how to love well? What when their friendship with them is not really going to get me any further in life, I think, in the, in the way that I want to live? And we're brought back to the reality that when Jesus was alive on earth, what was one of the chief accusations about him? He eats with sinners and tax collectors. Not with the, not with the wealthy and powerful of the day. It shouldn't be like this. And one of the worst parts of it is when we show partiality like that, what we're doing is we're adopting the world's way of, of operating into the church. Because that's the way the world operates. If you like me and treat me well, I'll treat you well. If you can advance in some way my career or my needs or whatever I want, then I'll engage with you. Otherwise, I don't have time. 
So we adopt the world's way, the world's standard into the church. And James says, it shouldn't be that way. In fact, here's how it should be. If you really want to fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, and these are the very words of Jesus, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well then. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And an opportunity when you recognize somebody that's doing that is to bring them to this verse 13, which is just astounding. Mercy triumphs over judgment. When you find a person who's judging other people based on how they look or act, and you bring them to the text, the truth, and you say, but listen, mercy triumphs over that. And here's the examples from the history of God's people to show you. And here is Jesus showing you. These are the truths that we need to bring people to when they begin to wander from the truth. Being the church in real life also means living consistently each day. That is a challenge for some people. Some of us, our emotions just go like this, and we go right along with them. It's hard to be consistent. Uh, James would address it in this way, in several ways, but one of the ways that's interesting he addresses it is he says, uh, you bless the Lord on Sunday and you curse people on Monday. That's a paraphrase. It's not exactly what he said, but that's what he's saying. You bless the Lord, you curse people. You speak well of God and toward him, and you speak ill of people and toward them. And he likens it to trying to get fresh water out of a salt sea. I grew up mostly around fresh water. And so I was, I was invited down to Florida. The man that invited a few of us down there had some ski-doos, his personal watercraft. And so we got out on them the first day, zipping along. And as is common on those things, you end up falling off it at some point, and I did. And to my surprise, the water was salty. Tasted bad. Like, what's this? Not Lake Michigan. I had forgotten. <laughs> I had expected fresh water out of the ocean. It's not going to happen. James says you can't bless God on Sunday, speak well of him, sing his praises and all of that, and then Monday turn around and curse people. Now, we wouldn't, we wouldn't use curse words at people. But it goes beyond that. Cursing is talking badly to or about people. It's speaking to them in a way that's demeaning, in a way that lowers them or takes out our own frustration on them. That can't happen. <laughs> the godly wisdom is found in verse 10 when he says, um, From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not to be so. You can't do that. Rather, if you look down to the bottom of the chapter, he says, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. It's interesting. We want people to be righteous. We want them to live godly lives. I, I think most of us, if not all of us, want that. And yet the very way we treat them often doesn't sow seeds of righteousness, but seeds of unrighteousness. When we gossip with somebody, we have sown a seed of unrighteousness. 
When we grumble and complain toward them about what's going on in our life, we sow seeds of unrighteousness. We just add something more to what might already be happening in their life that is going to move them away from truth, cause them to wander. And so we ought to rather, in peace, sow a harvest of righteousness. One thing that's interesting about James and really challenging is James is like straightforward. He's, he's what the old timers would know as a hellfire and brimstone preacher. Right? He hits hard. Look at chapter 4. He tells the church that they murder and that they are adulterers. That's pretty hard hitting. <laughs> that's, that's hard hitting. You adulterous people. Why does he say that? Well, because they have left their first love for another. It goes on to say, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. It's what Israel did when they said, We don't want to worship Yahweh, we're going to go worship Baal. We're going after these other gods who aren't going to be able to give us anything, but we prefer them. They, they, they leave their first love for the world which cannot love them. At least not in the way that they need to be loved. And so they abandon God. And why do they abandon God? Because they covet and cannot obtain. They desire, they want. They want it so badly that they begin to quarrel and fight with each other. Now, I don't know if the early church actually had people physically killing each other or not. But that's not necessary for James to use the word murder because based on Jesus' definition of murder, it means something much bigger. You remember Jesus has an interaction where he's straightening out the lawyers about the, the law. They had kind of this narrow view of the law that supported their own puny kingdoms. And Jesus broadened that thing out for them. And one of them was the law, uh, the, the commandment that says, you shall not murder. And Jesus says, well, you're looking at that as don't physically take the life of a person. But I'm going to tell you how God looks at that. God says, if you have hatred in your heart for someone, You've broken that commandment. And that's what happens here when you begin to covet and want and long for and have desires for and begin to fight with people about it. You get to the point where you're at enmity with them. You, you hate them. Most of us wouldn't probably admit that because that's a really strong word. But if we look in the mirror and see what it really means, none of us, I'm guessing in here, have ever physically intentionally killed someone, murder. But I also bet that many of us in here, if we didn't have the constraints about us, might. The depravity of man is such that we're not above that. 
I often tell people who think that kids are just, you know, they're fine the way they are. I'm trying to explain to them that now they, they got a sinner's heart in there. I think about Izzy. Where's Izzy? Oh, he over there? He went to Children's Church. Izzy, God gave us like the strongest willed child we've ever had at the end. Thank you. Appreciate that, God. Izzy, if Izzy was big enough, if Izzy was the size of my son-in-law, he would physically harm me to get what he wants. If Ian, Michael, Brian's son, was Brian's size, he would physically kill Brian. Those little tantrums that he throws at the front, we kind of laugh, you know. But he was big enough with the mentality of a one-year-old, he would take a life. That's how serious it is. And that stirs up in our hearts when we begin to covet and want and desire. And it leads us to hate people. And no, we wouldn't kill them. We know better than that. We have constraints in our society that keep us from it. But there may be a day that those constraints are moved further and further away. Lawlessness will reign. And if we in the church haven't sown seeds of righteousness, we're going to follow right along with that. Well, how do, we, how do we draw someone who's beginning to move that direction or already has? What do we do? We bring them to the text here, chapter 5, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, that's not something we can just generate on our own, though. And so there's another verse in there that helps us understand God's work in our lives. Look up a little further to verse 5. This is an excellent text. Do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says God yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? God has given us the spirit and he now has a jealousy. God's exiling of his people was not pure punishment. I'm mad at them and so I'm going to send them to their room. He longed for them because he had he was their God. He longed for them to be in relationship with him, and they kept saying, no, I want to go over here and be with these other gods. And so he disciplined them because, as Hebrews says, they were his true children. He loved them, and so he disciplined them. God, jealous, God is jealous. He yearns jealously over us. When we begin to covet things outside of him and his good for us, he gets jealous about it. And he comes after us. And it's not always pretty for us. But he works in us then. What does it say next? He gives more grace. Something that I'm still learning. Because my tendency is when somebody offends or pushes me away. Is to be like, okay, I'll step back even further. But that's not what God does. God moves toward. He increases his relationship, if you will. It's something that we need to learn to do. And the beauty of it is when people humble themselves, he tells us at the end of at verse 10, then the Lord will exalt them. Chapter 5. Wandering people 
are impatient people. I can be very impatient. Um, it, it, and, it, and it comes up in like little things. Um, all, most of us here remember, we were just talking about the other day, dial-up internet. I remember the church had it. And I remember that um, it was slow. It was very slow. And you knew you would have to wait a while. And what I found is now I don't have dial-up internet. And I get very impatient. You know, it used to take, let's just say it used to take 30 seconds to a minute for the, for the thing to load up, the page. I'm pretty upset if it's not like this. Like I just clicked on the button. Where is it? Where is it? Come on. The little thing's spinning for three, four seconds, and I'm pretty mad. You understand how small these things can be. And why are we impatient? We're impatient because we, I can't control it. I can't do anything to make it speed up. We get impatient because we can't control something. And what happens when we become impatient and can't control something? Well, we begin to, we begin to grumble, he says. We begin, we begin to grumble. We're going to complain. Ugh, internet. Can't get this internet. I got cable running right down my street, and nobody's asking me to hook up to it. What's going on? I can, ugh. Now, of course, you know how that plays out, right? Then my kid pops in and says, hey, Dad, get out of here. I'm busy. Waiting for this stupid thing to, you know, and so on and so on. You can, you can figure it out. My mom, one of my mom's verses to us kids when we were young that we pretty much ignored, but I'm seeing the reality of it now, is when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And, and you know, as a kid, we were like, ah, oh, that's too bad. But look what, look what James says. He says, don't grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be, what? Judged. If you go back into Exodus, that's exactly what happens over and over again. The people grumble, and God judges them. Sometimes in his judgment, he gives them what they asked for. Remember the quail? Like they got quail. It's coming out their ears. They're sick of quail. Other times, the earth opens up, and a bunch of them disappear. Or fire comes out and destroys them. When the people complain, it, it displeased the Lord to the extent that he would judge them. And that's what James is saying here. When you grumble, when you complain, the judge is at the door. Picture it in Exodus. The cloud, the pillar of cloud, which is God... Therefore, them is at the tent of the meeting. Everybody can see it. And as they're able to see the cloud, they are grumbling. And we kind of chuckle at that, those silly Israelites. And yet we do the same thing. We know God is right there in the very room we're in. And it doesn't seem to put a check on our grumbling. Maybe... We don't believe the text. The judge is standing at the door. And so here we have opportunity. We, we look into this and we find that the godly wisdom is found in verse 11. Consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. You've seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. 
Opportunity to remind wandering people that the Lord's not slow to fulfill his promises. He's patient. He's long-suffering because he wants a good to be accomplished. We want our good to be accomplished, but we forget God is working out the lives of 7 billion people on our planet. Most of us have trouble like just controlling ourselves in our day. Much less a family, much less 7 billion people. One of the things that's helped me as I start to get impatient about a situation and what I want is to say, wait a minute, maybe, maybe God is doing something in another person's life who's intersecting with mine in a way that I don't understand, and I need to wait in order for that to happen. Think of it this way. You're driving down the road. You're late for work. You've got to get there, and the ambulance behind you is coming with the lights on. What's more important, that I get to work on time or that somebody who might be dying gets to the hospital? See, there's somebody else involved in in the whole formula now, in the whole situation. It's not just about me. And so we begin to understand God is patient toward people. And it helps us to begin to be more patient and more like the farmer who waits for the fruit Well, supplication, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgivings are to be made for all people, Paul tells us, but especially for those who wander. And, and here at this last paragraph, before the two verses that we're working out of in chapter 5 of James, I want us to sort of refocus away from the wanderer to us being called to bring the wanderer back. You may be in a situation that seems very difficult, even hopeless. I don't see a pathway to that person coming back to the truth. They appear to be too far gone. The things they've done, the place they're at, they won't listen. It's hopeless. And the reality is that in our own strength, it is. We're not going to convince them by our words. We will only, the only thing that will convince them will be the word given to them in a spirit of peace, trying to sow some seeds of righteousness. And it comes down to what James says here in verse 16, pray for one another. And then he expounds on this. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. If we will, if we will work in our lives to be open to the Spirit, to bring about righteousness in us, our prayers will have great power. Look at Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Think about it. Elijah was afraid at times. Jezebel's going to kill me. And he runs and he hides. He complained at times. I'm the only one, God, who's following you. And God says, no, not really. I got 7,000 people who haven't been about about the knee to Baal. You're not alone, Elijah. He was a man like us. But look what it says about his life. He was marked by prayer. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, the heavens were shut up. And then... After that great battle 
non-battle practically between the true and living God and the gods of Baal, or Baal God. He prays, and what happens? The heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Do we want to see the fruit, the harvest of righteousness in those who have wandered from the truth? It starts with praying. we got to pray. Fervently, faithfully. Down at St. James, the example I use, because it's the one that most often comes to my mind when I think of fervent and faithful prayer, is Marsha Jansen. Many of you know that uh, Marsha, herself um, an adult before she came to faith in Jesus Christ through the witness of her husband, Bill, her father was an unbeliever, and she prayed for him for over 30 years. And he put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ at the very end of his life. And I asked, her, I asked her in front of the whole congregation, I said, Marcia, were there times you thought it was hopeless? She says, oh, yeah. There were times when I didn't see it was ever going to happen. But she didn't stop. She didn't stop praying. The other example I think of is my own mother. Trying to, I don't use it much because I start crying when I do. My mother's prayed for me every day since I've been born, probably since before I was born. And I think back over my life and I ask myself, how many times did her fervent, faithful prayer of a righteous mother move God's heart to keep a wandering son from going too far? Prayer. Oh, we would do so much more on our knees. Do we really want to see fruit born in the life of a wanderer? Well, the first thing we have to do is pray for ourselves. <laughs> Paul says in one of his letters, I'm fearful. I, I, I discipline myself because I'm fearful that having preached the gospel to thousands of people, I might find myself disqualified. And so I'm concerned about me. Uh, as my friend and colleague Ed Hart says, he says, when I ever write a book, I'm going to title it, It Really Is All About Me. But it is in this case. The false humility of, well, I don't need, I'm, I'm praying for others, not me, misses that unless my heart is right first, I'm not going to do this work of bringing wanderers back. And so I first have to pray for myself. And there's, here's four things to pray coming right out of the text of James. How about this? If the Lord wills, I will live and do this or that. If God wants me to be involved in the life of that wanderer to help bring them back, I'm going to trust him. I'm not going to make all these huge plans of my own. Or this prayer, Lord, help me sow a harvest of righteousness in peace by making peace. Make me a peacemaker so that I will come to people peaceably. Or how about this one? Lord, help me love my neighbor as myself. And then this fourth one, Lord, please give me your wisdom and grant me faith in asking. comes right out of James 1. If you pray for wisdom, God will give generously, but you've got to believe he will. 
If you start doubting, you're going to be like a ship that's just getting tossed to and fro. Don't expect anything good to come out of that. Begin your mission of saving souls from death and covering a multitude of sins with prayer for yourself. And then begin to pray for the other person. That the reality in their life might be here in verse 16. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Spend time in prayer for yourself. Spend time in prayer for the wanderer. And then, with confidence in the spirit work, in your life and theirs, bring them to the truth that we're going to be learning about in James over the next few months to show them from the text of Scripture what it means to be the church in real life. Father, thank you for this Scripture text and the, the encouragement it is to us, the blessing. For it, first of all, points out our own need. Perhaps, perhaps we are the wanderer, and we needed to hear today where it is that we're wandering. If so, Father, help us confess that before you and know your forgiveness and get back on the path of righteousness. And perhaps you've brought to our attention someone who is wandering. With boldness in the spirit and courage that comes from you, help us to go and begin to talk to them about what we see and bring them to the text of Scripture that your word might be at work in them to accomplish your purposes. And then we will boast in you and in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mike Nye of Durkeetown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.